Welcome to a new podcast, the Sports Witness Podcast. I'm your host, Harry Sabarium. I'm with our friends E-Dog, Jay, and Corey Richmond. So this is going to be a new podcast that we're taking on adventures of sports, different topics, different episodes. Some will be all just based on one sport. Some will just talk about all different things at once. But at this time, I'm going to pass the torch over to Corey and see what Corey's doing today. All right, gentlemen. As our founding member, Harry, just mentioned, one thing I will say, just like a little wrestling podcast that me and Harry do together, so first cheap plug of the evening, let's talk about AEW, aka let's talk about everything wrestling. I'll have the points that make a lot of sense. Harry will try to go and counter it. We'll have two other gentlemen here to go and try to bring in their own flair. We're going to try to be as PC, as un-PC as possible. The family can listen to this, or if dad's really drunk, he can go and listen to it his own and, you know, yell and scream and maybe join us on a Facebook page coming to you very soon. But my personal background, lifelong baseball, hockey, football, basketball, in my lifetime, only one of the teams I've rooted for has ever won anything. I was wearing the hat a little earlier just to bother Harry, but I was a little slow when it comes to how, how fast I do or do not change a hat. But I'm a New Jersey Devils fan. Baseball, I'm a Cleveland Indians fan. Hockey, like I said, I've seen wins. My football team is a disaster. We gave $233 million guaranteed to a guy who may or may not have done something slightly inappropriate named Deshaun Watson. So, yes, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. And I'm a bitter and disgusted, to say the least, New York Knicks fan who has no idea why we still have Julius Randle, even if he scores 58 or 59 points at a random point. He ain't won nothing. He's never going to win anything. I'd still drive his ass to the airport if I could. This is going to be an entertaining, fun time. Like you said, this is the Sports Witness Podcast. I think the best way to start this off is introduce the other gentleman here, Jason. I see you're wearing New Jersey slash New York Giants. That could be a little bit of a pro of a couple of fans. You know, you move to a different state. All you do is pay taxes for your facility, but you don't change the name. Big whoop. But uh, Jason, how do you get a little idea of uh, your sports fandom besides the New York Giants? What's up, everybody? So, uh, yeah, I'm from New York also. I'm a New York Giants fan, a Boston Red Sox fan, which is probably really weird, but my father was a Red Sox fan. Long story. So I got a few championships recently, which is nice. The Knicks, kind of a Knicks fan. I mean, I'm into basketball, but I really don't have a team kind of since Jordan retired. I was like a freak Jordan youngster. And big Rangers fan. Also watch golf, and I think that's about it. It's all the sports, right? So basically, Jason has seen more championships than everyone in this panel most likely has seen combined in their life. I know that E-Dog, he's in North Carolina, so if he's a college basketball fan, he's seen quite a few, both with Duke and North Carolina over the years. But E-Dog, he's our other Jason, Jason Ellis, so just not to confuse everybody. How about you let us know a little about your sports fandom and how many championships you've seen unlike me? So I'm primarily an NBA fan. I have a, a love-hate relationship with LeBron James. I love his athleticism, his basketball playing. You know, his, his focus, but his politics are. I know I'm interrupting here. That's what I do. But uh, never feel ashamed to give your opinion. You know what? As long as, you know, we're not doing anything too crazy, feel free. If, you know, if it's in your heart to say LeBron James should just stick to know what he does best. And so Laura Ingram doesn't get a platform to, you know, spew other things. So you said you're more of a basketball fan. So are you rooting for those Charlotte Bobcats or? If they ever win a championship, I'd be right behind them. But. It's going to be a long time before that happens. In the news right now, you've got Michael Jordan. Looks like he's selling maybe the whole team or 
some of his stake in the team. I know that's gone. Some commentators make some jokes on his behalf. Yeah, I saw that. Maybe he's moving on to bigger, better things. I, I did see that. They were selling tickets for a dollar. That's how bad he's made the Charlotte Hornets. So, yeah. Honestly, I, mean, I was never a Jordan fan, so it doesn't surprise me. I was a psycho Jordan fan, like I think I just mentioned. I'm shocked there's nothing on my wall behind me right now that's not Jordan. It's probably, like, right down a little bit. But, yeah, it hurts, man. Like, he just doesn't seem – I don't know. Did he not care? Was he just terrible at it? Like, I didn't pay that much attention. He's got a different skill set, and I think it's more of the athletic side. He actually grew up 45 minutes from me. He uh, grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina, and I'm from Whiteville, North Carolina. It's about, it's about 45 minutes from where I live. Okay. So you're a big basketball, regular basketball fan. NBA, not so much college, but I'm an NBA fanatic. Um, we can discuss any any area of, that, of NBA. Hey, so maybe we'll get into a few minutes if we think, you know, your boy LeBron could uh, get back in time to help the Lakers, you know, get into the play-in games. Harry, this is your baby, but we really don't know. What's your fandom like? Are you a fan of a good hockey team like the Devils, or are you a fan of uh, a team that just likes to spend a ton of money in the uh, the Rangers? Yeah, unfortunately, we spent too much money and we don't we haven't done anything you know for a long time. So yeah, I'm a Ranger guy. I was originally a Hartford Whaler, but uh, the Whalers left, and that killed me. I went to Carolina, so uh, became a Ranger fan. I followed here and there. But I was really more of a Ranger fan, like in the 90s with Messier and, you know, all that. So, but again, I was more of a casual hockey fan, not as serious. It was just so much to do. You know, I just didn't get a chance to actually follow hockey the way I followed NBA, you know. So NBA, you know, I'm a Knicks fan. I was also a Golden State Warrior fan before all this fandom. I'm talking about Run TMC. If you're too young to know what that is, Run TMC is uh, Tim Hardaway, you know, Chris Mullen and Mitch Richmond. And then, you know, uh, when they traded Mitch Richmond away, they, they drafted Latrell Sprewell. And there was something about Latrell Sprewell's game I loved. So I was a Latrell Sprewell fan. So my favorite players of all time were Magic Johnson, Latrell Sprewell, Larry Johnson, Carmelo Anthony, Patrick Ewing. You know, I, I, obviously Starks is on there. So I was a Nick fan. You know, I've been a Nick fan the entire time as well. And then after Latrell choked out PJ Carlissimo, well, I got my dream. And, you know, uh, Sprewell went to the Knicks. And he played out of position, and Jalen Rose at 6'9 in Indiana was, you know, killing him every playoff, so we never got anywhere, really. We did make one, you know, NBA championship, but the Spurs were just too dominant. So, you know. I mean, you mentioned a moment ago that Chris Mullins, just recently in the news, we had Rick Patino's coming to St. John's. Were you a yeah. St. John's fan? Is that what the Mullins love comes from, or is that two separate things? No, it's two separate things. I'm actually a UConn guy. So I love the Big East, you know, at least, at least the old school Big East. So if UConn wasn't in something, you know, I was rooting for someone else. So if Syracuse was in or whatever, you know, I'd you know, secretly root for them. Love the Big East back in the day. You had Syracuse at Villanova. You had the St. John's Redmen then. It was a lot of fun. You know, the, uh, love, love the 90s uh, Big East for men and women for basketball. Then uh, baseball, I'm a Yankee fan. My father's from the Bronx, Pearsall Avenue. My mom's from Queens, too. It's a story for another day. But uh, so I was secretly a Mets fan, too, as a kid. And my dad made me choose one day. And that was it. I'm a Yankee fan. So at eight years old, my dad made me cry, tear off my Daryl Strawberry jersey. And, you know, and uh, that was that. No, I made a choice and I picked the Yankees and because of Don Mattingly, Donnie Baseball. So I'm a Yankee fan. So basically, uh, you were able to get a Daryl jersey a couple of years later. I mean, he, he was no longer the same player, but you were able to get your Daryl love back when he came back to uh, the Bronx. Huh? 
Yes, him and him and Doc Gooden. Yeah, I was able to get you know all of them after they were kind of using white stuff and uh, you know kind of washed up. But you know what? What can you do? And then the most you know horrific part, although the Knicks part is horrific too. But I, I am a uh, a Jets fan, and uh, the reason why is that is I was eight years old, you know, as well. Uh, maybe I was seven at the time. But anyhow, the Giants had just won a Super Bowl and. My dad was going on, and my dad was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and a Giants fan. I was like, no, Dad, the Jets. He's like, kid, what are you talking about? And I'm like, Al Toon, sounds like cartoon, Al Toon. And so Al Toon's the reason why I'm a Jet fan. And boy, wow. you know, boy, do I wish I wasn't. So, uh, you know, but uh, – well, well, yeah. Al Toon took a lot of hits for you as a kid. I mean, he, I don't know if he's still right at this point. He went over the middle, and uh, they hit him a lot. But uh, so, yeah. so just an overview – uh, Jason has seen a lot of championships. Harry's seen his fair share of championships. E-Dog is, loves basketball. And a WWE fan. And a WWE fan, which we could get also, to. Also, North Carolina is the home of Nature Boy Ric Flair, 16-time world champion. Woo! Well, maybe not the home. I think he was born in Minnesota, but that's, that's, that's for another time, for another subject. Okay. But, no, so, like, th- this is the type of atmosphere you'll have. Four guys, and we might have some other guys come in. It's a nice, loose, little ball busting, but, you know, good-natured fun. Harry has his uh, moment right now where uh, he's going to figure out what he wants to do with the Jets, and we'll talk about that maybe here in a moment with a future Hall of Famer who may not be the best fit, depending on some of the fan base, with Aaron Rodgers. We've got the future going on. on Did Daniel Jones really need to get, you know, $40-plus million for a guy – who his best attribute is running the ball. I mean, so we got a lot of things football-wise we can talk about. You know, I told you that my team is an utter disaster where it doesn't know what it wants to go and compete or just keep on making changes. But, uh, Harry, I think a great place to start is with that man who's got to make a decision, who may have pissed off his old team's general manager on the Pat McAfee show. Let's start with you, Aaron Rodgers. Do you want him as a Jet fan? Do the off-the-field things give you pause? I mean, win at all costs, like my team has decided to do with getting in bed with Sean Watson. I mean, what's your thoughts about the next possible two years and finally getting a championship in your lifetime? Well, I I think we're painted in a box at this point. I don't feel Lamar Jackson is a fit. So, you know, I mean, we could go that route if we had to, but I don't think it's worth it. And push it to give up two first-round picks to get him. I think that's the debacle there between Green Bay and New York is the compensation. If you believe what Aaron Rodgers says, it turns out that Aaron Rodgers thought he was going to still keep playing for Green Bay or retire. And then when he came out of his, you know, going into the dark to do his Zen or whatever meditation, he found out from multiple sources besides anyone but Green Bay that, you know, they wanted him out. They wanted to give Jordan Love the reins of the team. So I think they gave him a chip on his shoulder. I think Aaron is serious about it. I think Aaron wants to play now and he wants to be a Jet. I wanted Derek Carr. I don't know what the breakdown was there. I don't know if it was the fourth year. It's either that or it could be the fact that he knew that the Jets also were flirting with Aaron Rodgers. And I also think there's the fact that he didn't know what the status was of Zach Wilson. If Derek Carr is coming in at 31, I believe he is, and he wants to start the next four years. He doesn't want some guy breathing down his neck at all. I mean, not, not that I think Zach Wilson will ever play for the Jets again like that. I think that he'll be traded or something. I could be wrong. But to answer your question, I want Aaron Rodgers at this point. I think he's worth it. I think the compensation's got to match. I think the problem is that if you talk to certain people in the know or people who think they're in the know, 
the two sides are just too far apart. You know, the Packers want a first round pick and something else. And the Jets are like, no, we'll give you like a, you know, a second round and a third rounder. And the third rounder is a conditional to be a second rounder if we make the AFC championship game. So they're far apart. They have time, but it would be wasted though if somehow Green Bay doesn't trade them, the Jets don't get them, and then the Jets have to go into the season with no real good quarterback out there. Well, at least one that's of that prestige. So, Jason, as a guy who's had a team who has beaten Aaron Rodgers over the years, what's your thoughts? Do you think he's worth the headache for the Jets? Or do you think the Jets made a mistake by waiting for him, not going after like a Derek Carr type or a Garoppolo? Man, I think it's tough. I mean, first off, I think this whole thing is insane. Like, he reminds me of Adam Sandler, like, getting all, like wanting to get all of his friends' jobs. He's got, he put up, like, a list of, like, five guys that he wanted or whatever. And like, all right, Lazard, fine. You know, he's a he's a really good player. Mercedes Lewis, though, and like guys like that, like, I don't know. That seems a little absurd. And like I thought like once he got like Lazard, who would be like, all right, cool, I'm here now. I thought he would but that uh, show he was on recently. I really thought he would announce. I would I even said to people, like, why would he go on the show unless he was announcing he was gonna go to the Jets or something? But I mean, I'm a Giants fan. My one of my family's a Jets fan. I seriously root for the Jets. Like I want them to do good. I don't think Rogers is a good fit. Like I just think he's like kind of a goal about himself he's going to be a headache i don't know i think Carr would have been like a safer thing and he has like more to prove or rogers is i don't know taking money chilling maybe i mean i wanted Carr, so i agree with you on that what i will say is i'm only going by what that interview was with pat mcafee but he denied that list so like and even adam schefter put out the message schefter somehow got his phone number text him and he basically said you know nice try lose my number so he never told anyone a list of players he wanted, supposedly. I mean, this all could be lies. I don't know. I don't know Aaron Rodgers personally, but he said he never necessarily had a demand list. People were reporting that was a wish list, not a demand list. I agree on Lazard. You know, Alan Lazard's a great wide receiver, so it doesn't matter if it's Aaron throwing him or someone else. But you got to think about it. I mean, when it smells like a duck and it looks like a duck, it's a duck, right? So we got the guy from Denver, Hackett, who's Aaron Rodgers' best offensive coordinator, you know, now with the Jets. And then you sign Lazard, right? So why else would we make those moves unless they wanted Aaron Rodgers from the get-go? So I think this is just like a big big media fiasco. The big thing I'm worried about with Aaron is that he's going to decide a year from now that he doesn't want to play anymore. And then we wasted all this time on a guy for one year. That is my biggest worry. If they can somehow get him to commit that he'll play both years, barring any major injury, I know the guy's a diva and he's got his issues, but you can't deny his talent, man. Like, And sometimes a change of scenery does something to someone. He'll be great for business. I mean, put it this way. I understand Joe Montana had Steve Young breathing down his neck, and Jordan Love, as far as we know, is not Steve Young. So the comparison's kind of off, but... Montana did do some decent stuff with Kansas City. I mean, uh, you know, it wasn't like it was a complete failure. I've seen two AFC championship games in my day and never been past that. If I could just get to a Super Bowl, I mean, yes, of course I want to win it. But if we could just get to a Super Bowl, man, I'd be a happy guy just to have that because the Jets have just been terrible, man. And it's sad because we were rolling at the beginning of the year. And then Reese Hall tore his ACL and then it all went to heck. And Zach Wilson was barely doing anything as a QB. So pretty much any upgrade at this point is better than what we have now. But Rodgers would definitely make us contenders in the AFC East and possible scary go to the AFC championship game type mentality. 
But like you guys said, is he going to ruin the locker room? Is he going to be selfish? One would hope he's not going to do those things. Now, last point, from what I was told and from what I read, he went on the Pat McAfee show because he decided to force Green Bay's hand because Green Bay has been playing games with him because he's being linked to everything about how he doesn't want to take a trade to the Jets. He said he intends to play for the Jets. That's all he was allowed to say by law. So I assumed it would be announced on Friday that there was a trade made because all these reports were out that all the compensation was ready. It was just all about Aaron Rodgers committing. Turns out it's vice versa. Aaron Rodgers said he intends on playing for the Jets. It's the Packers and the Jets that now are in a stronghold where they can't seem to budge on what's going on. If I'm the GM, if I'm Joe Douglas, I'm not giving up a first-round pick. I'm not. I'll give a second. I'll even give maybe two seconds. And then I still feel you kind of robbing me. Again, you're getting an older quarterback who didn't even know if he's going to play anymore before he went into his little isolation. Yes, he is one of the top five best of all time and all that, but you got to be reasonable. I don't think the first round pick is worth it, in my opinion. Let's look at this realistically. And this is kind of what I do. I try to take a bigger worldview of a lot of this stuff, listen to everybody else's opinions, and then give the actual opinion that matters. Just kidding, guys. You got to look at it like this. Is there a chance that the information from ESPN was correct where there was a wish list or demands? I think that like almost everything else out there, people have their sources, they hear things. It's a telephone game where initially something is said, like I think that it most likely happened this way. Who knows? I'm just some silly guy from the Bronx who decided to sell his soul to try to do what the Jets most likely should do with Deshaun Watson. But he was in a meeting with the Jets for four hours with management, and he most likely said, these are some guys that I think would work well with in the system that we can do. We've got the offense coordinator. We've got some young, good receivers. I faced this defense this past season. Sauce Gardner made me look, you know, older than I was. I could see this defense has something there. Alan Lazard, I think, was a solid pickup. I think with the last two years or more, Randall Cobb has just basically been a guy that has made Aaron Rodgers, you know, feel comfortable. And if you're giving a guy like that two or $3 million a year, not my money. And in the long scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. It makes him feel good. Would I want to see Mercedes Lewis anywhere near a football field anymore? Not particularly. But you know what? If it makes your star happy, it's not the end of the world. He's not going to take away major playing time away from other people. The only thing about Randall Cobb I would like is that he would be a veteran presence. I mean, not that Alan Lazard is not, but it'd be another veteran presence that can actually teach these younger guys. It's good to have. I feel that's the missing piece is a lot of different sports aspects is veterans. We'll get to that later with the whole John Morant, but Cousins brought up that there's not a true veteran in that locker room to teach the youngins how to kind of act. And I think that Cobb would be a great veteran, even if he never puts a cleat on the field, during the game, per se, just to have that guy around to mentor the younger crew, the the Garrett Wilsons, I think it's worth the $3 million. That's just my opinion. I totally see that, but I think that both these teams realize that at the end of the day, this needs to get done. Let's be honest here. We could all be on our high horse morally saying that we would or would not do things. If someone had $60 million in front of you, or in real life terms of people who are just working folks like we are, Somebody had $300,000 sitting on a table and they said, you could either be this great human being or you could have $300,000. I'm sorry. I'm weak. I'm taking the $300,000. So the real version of this, Aaron Rodgers might have more money than God and he's got the quote unquote generational wealth. If someone is offering you $60 million, 
you are not retiring. He was never retiring. The supposedly he's now angry because, you know, the Green Bay Packers made him look a little foolish. Sure, maybe that's true. But the Jets haven't won longer than everyone on this panel has been born. For those who live in New York and listen to WFAN over the years, and just like other podcasts, we're not afraid to go and mention other people in the sports media exist. It's real life. There's other people out there. But there's a guy named Joe Beningo, who's just recently semi-retired from doing radio. He's been a Jet fan for over like 55 years or so now. One championship. He's a bitter old man who basically has his heart on his sleeve. And I think at this point, besides, you know, giving up a loved one, he would do anything in his power to see one championship. I mentioned earlier, I'm a Browns fan. My favorite player of all time is Bernie Kosar. I one day, and as a Giant fan, I know you're going to hate this, Jason, but but one day in my life, I rooted for the disgusting, awful Dallas Cowboys. It hurt my heart because they are, you know, America's awful team. But Bernie Kosar had a chance to win a championship. So I went and rooted for one day. I rooted for Bernie to get a ring. Did it make me feel any better as a Cleveland Browns fan that my favorite player had a ring and my actual team didn't? Not particularly, but I felt happy for him. But just the idea, the fact is sometimes and you may feel gross leading up to the championship. But like I said, Sean Watson gets the Cleveland Browns a championship. I will be happier than the proverbial pig. And you know what? Harry can bitch and moan right now on he may have wanted Derek Carr. But in the next two years, if he's at a parade at the Canyon of Heroes or at a parking lot in Jersey, what the Devils usually do, because, you know, we have a thousand fans, maybe a thousand and one at this point. He's going to forget about the idea that he's vaccinated or not vaccinated, whatever crap that's out there. Harry's going to sit there and go, I may not like the guy, but I saw a championship. Jason, I'm sure over the years, there hasn't been every single member of the Boston Red Sox, the Giants, the piece of crap Rangers, just saying. I'm sure there's some players in that team that you didn't exactly love. But you know what? At the end of the year, you know, if you have a championship, you know, you may have thought Pedro was an idiot. When you saw that championship, you were like, may not love the guy, but we got a ring. Push comes to shove. Aaron Rodgers gives the Jets the best chance to win a championship now. And you know what? We don't know what tomorrow will give. So you got to sell your future a little bit right now to get that championship. And once again, it's not our money. We can say we pay for cable or we pay for tickets to go to games. In the long run, it's his money we'll never see, and the money really shouldn't matter. I'll let uh, Jason, if you have any final thoughts. I kind of hated Eli Manning at first. And then I'm like the biggest Eli psycho because he got lucky a few times with like three different passes or whatever. But I'll take it. At least you admit it. I respect that. At least you admit it. Yeah, most Giant fans are like, oh, Eli's the greatest. Eli <laughs> Manning is one of the luckiest quarterbacks I've ever seen in my lifetime. But at least you admit it, man. You have my respect. I watched that play again recently, and it was Eli kind of like showing the play, and they showed how many people were holding. And it was almost everybody in the like every giant was holding someone during that helmet catch, which is totally insane. They can call holding almost on every play, you know that. But yeah. that you're right, that whole play was really, everyone was holding. Uh, one last thing, I'm going to ask both you, Jay, and also you, Corey. If you were the Jets, say you were a Jet fan or whatever, say – Rodgers was coming to your team, possibly. Would you give up the first-round pick for him? As someone who doesn't like Daniel, yeah. I mean, but if you're talking about, like, just a random nobody team that's, like, fake, I think, yeah, I still probably would. So I, I'm i kind of going to go off of what Harry said a little bit earlier. I think the way that this should work out 
is the fact that you most likely give up. If the trade has to be done for this draft, which I think with the way the money is going to work out, it most likely will be the following year's draft. But I make this one of these that you give up a three. If they make the AFC championship game, it becomes a two. If they win the uh, Super Bowl, it becomes a one. Then possibly maybe a fifth or a fourth, you know, either the same year or the year after. I think that the Jets, unless they play this horrifically bad, and it's the Jets, you never know what's going to happen here. I mean, you had a great draft. I think that the Jets are in the driver's seat, and if they should not have to give up a first. But, you know, the last thing on this, and Jason, I think you can understand this better than most. In the AFC, even with the Jets getting Rodgers, there are still maybe like seven quarterbacks or teams that might be better than him. Oh, yeah. If Aaron Rodgers was and Green Bay was willing to trade him in conference, he would have any team, almost any team he would go to. It automatically puts them into a, a Super Bowl, maybe, you know, the, the best team in the league. Because right now you, you have to say Jalen Hurts is the best quarterback in the, in the NFC. And then what? Dak Prescott? Those are your two best quarterbacks there. You know, Garoppolo wasn't even good enough to uh, do that. You got Purdy. I mean, Alliance quarterback, his his girlfriend is, you know, most likely a better athlete than he is at this point. And sorry to keep dragging this out, but that's what's causing all this ruckus is that the Rams traded Jared Goff and gave away, I believe, two first-round picks and a third or something at some point to get Stafford. And it's all worth it. They won a title. I understand that, but that's a lot. Does it matter? For Denver, it matters because Russell Wilson looks like he might be shot. And if they don't start off well, he may get shot. Who knows? Rodgers is putting way too much pressure on himself, kind of like waiting this long. I don't think there's anything they could really do. I mean, unless you get you have a deal in principle, but there is no way they're going to go and pay $60 million for a guy that they can't keep. And the only way that it turns into $15 million for Green Bay if it's after June 1st. So I don't, for all the people who were thinking this deal was going to get done 10 minutes after he said he wanted to go and play for the Jets, it's just not fiscally available for Green Bay to take that much of a, of a cap hit. I think it was like 45 millions of dead cap space if they traded him before whatever date. So, I mean, push comes to shove. I think that you'll have a quarterback in New Jersey slash New York will be wearing either the number eight or number 10 at the start of the season next year. That's, I think that's the way you got to look at it. It's it's a high price tag, but as a fan, unless you found out, you know, you got Ray Carruth on your team, you got to win. You really do. The fans, ton of money for tickets. They All of this stuff goes on. You got to be able to do that. But you know what? E-Dog has been sitting here patiently waiting to go and have an opinion on something that he can really get his hands into. E-Dog, or as those who will know as time goes on, our other Jason, Jason Ellis, you mentioned earlier that you're a LeBron fan. Right now, if the playoffs started today, unfortunately, the Lakers would not make the playoffs. They're tied for the last play-in spot. Let's start with you, uh, E-Dog. Do you think that if LeBron comes back, they could actually make a run here, or is it a little bit too late here? Well, they made a last-minute run as far as getting staying in the top eight to make the playoffs. They could make the play-ins, but lack of chemistry, or not maybe not lack of chemistry, but just lack of teamwork and the everyday grind is going to catch up with them, I think. If they happen to make the playoffs, they're not going to get far. Yeah, that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, I could totally see that. Before we bring this up to the whole entire panel, I think it brings up a bigger point. I was listening to a sports show out of Cleveland earlier today, and one of the hosts was saying that he couldn't care less about the play-ins because – 
realistically, none of these teams that are in the playing situation really have a chance to win. There's a possibility Golden State might be in that play-in game. I and think that would be the early. only exception. Nothing Golden State could do could surprise me. Steph is just an MVP candidate every year, and he can deliver at any time. He's still young. He's He can still deliver. And if they won another championship this year, it would not surprise me. So I guess the, the general point would be, first year it happened, I think that it created a little bit more interest. But, like, I'm not a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, but like I said, I, I watch and listen to a lot of Cleveland radio because of my other teams. And right now, the way things are, if there was no play-in, like last year, the Cleveland Cavaliers would have gotten in as the seventh seed. Right. They ended up losing both parts of the play-in. So I'm just wondering, do you guys, and uh, we'll start with E-Dog here, do you like the idea of the play-in situation or are you a fan? I know it's only one year to really think about this. But are you a fan of just the top eight seeds get in? This play-in thing is one step too far. What's, what's your thoughts? Honestly, I think the play-in is a little, little too confusing. I think there should be a deadline when you make the top eight. If you're there, you're, you can compete for the playoffs. If not, you're eliminated. It's just too confusing. And it gives them a second chance, but I don't know. They should have ranked higher, in my opinion. Uh, Harry, what do you think there? What's your thoughts on the play-in situation? I don't care for it. I understand the purpose of it. I think it's more of a cash grab somehow, you know, because you're getting, you know, more games out of it, different arenas, you know, what have you. So maybe that's what they're doing it for. Maybe they feel it's more exciting. I wish they'd put more emphasis into controlling more of the load management, stuff like that. And you wouldn't have to worry about having 10 teams in. You wouldn't have to worry about that if everyone just played appropriately. But that's another story for another day. But I mean, the NBA is always trying to evolve. They're trying to evolve to find different ways to, I guess, what they feel is touch the fan base, you know, and I, I think this particular one is just not one that's right. I agree with E-Dog that, uh, you know, Golden State is the exception to the rule. If Golden State's in the seventh spot, that's the only true one that can really do some, you know, damage. I thought maybe Dallas could do something, but it seems like even the addition of Kyrie, it's not as sold as we thought it was. You know, and I think the problem is with that is with lacking chemistry. These guys move around so much. I mean, there's already talk. The minute Kyrie was traders, talk that Kyrie still may go to Phoenix next year to be with KD. And he wasn't even suited up yet to be a Dallas Maverick. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of going off the point. But I just think that if Dallas was focused and Kyrie was literally dedicated to playing in Dallas and uh, having the side show off to the side, I think Dallas could be someone to mess with. But besides that, if they end up being the sixth seed and Golden State falls at a seven, Golden State's going to be scary regardless. So, Jason, so right now in the East, we have the seventh seed is the Heat, the eighth seed is the Hawks, the ninth seed is the Raptors, and the tenth seed is the Bulls. And we've got the Wizards and Pacers are two games back. We'll start with that. In the East, do you think any of those teams have a chance to actually win a championship? No chance. Definitely not in the East. I mean, I think Phillies would kill all of them and probably Boston too and um, Milwaukee. So just going with that, and we'll go to the West in a second, I'll let you get an opinion here, because it is amazing. Like the fourth slot to the 13th slot is, I think is only separated by like three games right now. So that's super interesting on there. But when you have something like that in the East, do you even care? You know what I mean? I'm sure if there's just an extra day basketball on, we'll all watch. And if we've got money on it, we'll put a bet in just to make it more exciting. But do you agree with our two other friends here that 
the play-in is kind of just a, a cash grab, but just a reason for another playoff, a home playoff game for two teams, or do you like it? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I agree for the most part. I don't think it's really necessary. I'm kind of old school. I'm good with the eight teams and, you know, just move on. Also, to Corey's point, like, I hate that, you know, not everybody plays every game. I know it's a whole different thing, but I have to throw out that Josh Hart had a sick quote recently where somebody asked him, like, you know, are you guys fatigued right now? And he said, no, people work 80 hours a week of fatigue. We're playing a kid's game. Like, get out of here. I thought that was so great, but I'll watch it. And I'm going to be interested. I'm sure like we all are, right? So like, it's not the worst thing. How do y'all feel about the challenge rule? You know, you get two challenges per game. When the referee makes a questionable call, they can uh, go back and review the videotape. How do y'all feel about that, them doing, starting that this year? I don't know. I mean, it's not a big thing for me either way. I mean, I think until I actually see it play out, I can't really have an opinion. I mean, something we may or may not get time to talk about in our show here today is the idea of, you know, with baseball, with the pitch clock and how that's changed. Until I actually saw it in use, I didn't watch a ton of minor league games, so I didn't feel like I really had an opinion until I saw it. So, I mean, until I see it fully in use and see how games may or may not be truly affected by the instant replay thing, I'm going to just hold judgment, to be honest, in my book. I wish it was like the NFL or whatever, where it's like set up. You got to either do everything or nothing. Like, I don't like that the coaches have to do it. It's 2023. There should be the technology. You know what I mean? Like, if the TV can see it within seconds, can't they? Makes sense. I'm just waiting as we get along from that comment. Jason just gonna is actually going to want, you know, robots and umpires. So there isn't an error anymore. Uh, me and Jason are going to have some debates possibly down the road. But uh, <laughs> what's your thoughts on this replay situation? I think it's helpful. I think this thing needs to be just managed better. But everything has trial and error. So that'll come to pass. I do think that just the league in general, though, just I we used to hear 10, 20 years ago that we used to cater to stars, you know, but now I feel the catering is so off base now. I don't know if it's because there's so many trades now or the free agency or or what it is or because it's like a participation award. That's what the whole playing game is like. It's like, oh, here's a participation award. You were, you know, in the 10 spots. You get to go to the playoffs. No, battle it out and get to the eighth seed, you know, and do your damage. I mean, I want to say the 05 Golden State Warriors knocked out the one seed Mavericks that year in the playoffs. I mean, they, they played phenomenal. It was either one seed Mavericks or the one seed Nuggets. I can't remember which one, but uh, that was like Baron Davis, Monte Ellis, that whole Golden State squad, way before Steph got there and all that. And it was a heck of a series. They just caught fire at the right time. They didn't go super far in the playoffs, but they did knock down the number one seed. And I think that the mentality of the game has gotten soft. I still watch it, so I'm a hypocrite because I I just love basketball so much. But people say Steph is so great, and he is. I'm not taking anything from him. But you put that guy in the 90s with hand-checking, and let me tell you, he's not scoring the way he does now. Not happening. I don't care what you say. Taking hand-checking away changes everything. It changes how you play defense, who can be on the post. It changes the entire game of basketball. So that's why I feel guys like Allen Iverson were better at handling the ball and scoring because there was a lot more defense played back then. I mean, look at the All-Star game. All-Star game defense was non-existent. Yeah, I, I fell asleep in the first quarter. It was terrible. It's like, I don't get it. Jordan and all these guys, they had this dog in them. You know, they, they, they wanted to kill each other. A quick thing, I'm sorry going off base, but it just came to my mind. I ended up watching over the weekend the Redeem team again. I watched it a few times on Netflix, and 
What stuck out to me like a sore thumb was USA playing Spain, and Kobe Bryant runs over Paul Gasol. Like, he just runs through a screen and runs him over. If you haven't seen a redeemed team on Netflix, watch it. Kobe literally just runs through the screen and puts him on his back. And he was just like, this is, and everyone was saying, well, he was proving a point that he's here to win. No one's his brother. No one's in, and Pem and Paul Gasol were like best friends. Didn't yeah. matter. He's here to win a gold medal. And he was showing, he was the alpha and you're going to come be with me and we're going to go do this together. That's the element missing in today's game is that that dog. That's why LeBron's never going to be the GOAT. LeBron's not that dog. He's got accolades. He's probably got the you know longest career and or one of the longest careers. He's got the point scoring title now and of longevity, and that's great. He's probably on the Mount Rushmore, and then I got no problem with that. To be the best at something, one, if you are the best at something, right, you don't talk about it. Other people talk about you. You don't talk about yourself. LeBron has went on record saying that he's the best. Are you convincing yourself, LeBron, or are you trying to convince us? I'm sorry. All respect. I'm just being honest. I've had different things I've done in my lifetime that people say I'm the best at. Not once have you heard me say I'm best at it. Not once. So the game has gotten soft now, and it's such a soft philosophy. It's almost like a, a, a Ringling Brothers and Barley and Bailey Circus rather than an actual competitive sport. My own brother and I played basketball for years, and we were on the opposite teams. We'd kill each other. Like, we would literally kill each other, hack each other, whatever, to win. We wanted to win. Afterwards, fine, we're brothers again. But on the court, brother wanted to dominate me and show me that he was better, no matter what. I there was nothing. And that was that competition. I don't feel it's there as much anymore. Now it's all finesse and branding and soft and load management. And that's why these guys are not the same as it was in the 90s. You can't compare it to. So, Harry, I'm going to give you a second to get a drink of water and calm back down to that level-headedness that we know you always are. But let me give you three points here. So one, on the initial idea where we started with the playing game situation, I agree with you guys for the most part where it is a bit of a cash grab. I do think kind of like with the, in baseball, with having, you know, the extra wild card spots, it makes games at the end possibly mean a little bit more because more teams have a chance to make the playoffs. That's point one. Point two. It was said back in the late 90s, the old slogan with baseball, chicks dig the long ball. Unfortunately, offense is what sells tickets. We might all love the idea of the 85 Bears and the hard-hitting defense or the late 90s Pistons where, you know, if you went in there, Rick Mahorn would take your head off. Totally get that. But just like in football, if you touch the quarterback, you're going to get a penalty. We all think it's BS, but offense is what drives ratings. To the hardcore fans, we all love the idea of, you know, a 6-3 game in the snow and everything. That's great. But when it comes to selling things, like I said, chicks take the long ball. And when it comes to basketball, they want some version of, you know, a little bit of defense. They want the Harlem Globetrotters. That's what they want. We live in a society, and I'm going to get my soapbox for a third of a second here, live in a society where everyone is looking at their phones every three seconds. The reason why baseball is going with the, the pitch clock right now is because they realize people, when they're at the games, they get bored so fast. So even though it's a beautiful game and you might like the idea of being away from your family for three and a half hours, now you're going to have to figure out, you know, the 45-minute difference to explain why you haven't gone home yet and you're drinking more in the parking lot. So it's a very simple thing there. And third, which it hasn't been spoken about a ton, but the new collective bargain agreement with basketball, next year, in order to be able to win awards, especially the MVP, this whole load management thing, 
is not going to be allowed. And we all know that just like with anything, bonuses in real life are important, even if you're making a billion dollars. The idea of if you win the MVP, you have a chance for more endorsements and everything else. The stars are going to play more because they want to be able to qualify for the awards that lead into bonuses and different escalating clauses and contracts. So I think after this year, you're going to see more players play more games. Maybe I'm wrong and I'm just being an utter optimist, but I think that when it comes down to it, the accolades and those key numbers to becoming a Hall of Famer for the truly great players actually mean something. And if you're not going to be able to qualify for awards and different things, if you're doing the low management, that's going to be a choice. And I think when it comes down to the bottom line, it's very simple. Money is the root of all evil and greed and everything else. But like I said before, Aaron Rodgers is not retiring because he wasn't giving up $60 million. Jonas isn't a huge proponent of doing a lot of load management, but if Jonas wants for his legacy to win the MVP every year, he's not going to be sitting out a ton of games. Anymore. So I think this will has a good possibility of changing, at least when it comes to seeing the stars play. But unfortunately, for all the old man sitting outside and yelling at the clouds, the idea of defense being a major factor in modern day sports is a thing in the past. And unfortunately, we're going to have to accept it or no longer watch because you're either going to hate watch something or you're going to be able to learn to go and adapt. And I agree with you, Harry. The hand check being out of basketball is horrific. I was a New York Knicks fan in the 80s where, you know, you had Charles Oakley out there and everyone else just basically the idea of like a hack-a-shack was actually a thing, you know, when you if you went and played at the Garden. Unfortunately, that's not the way it is anymore. So you either stop enjoying the sport that you watch and pick up golf on the weekends to stay away from your family, or you go and you realize maybe it was better when I was younger, but it's never going to go back to the way it was. I get that. I was just bringing up the fact that you brought up earlier that Steph Curry is amazing. And I'm not taking anything from Steph. Steph is probably the greatest shooter we ever saw. I just think that if you put him in a, in a different era, how good would he really be? But then again, you can say the same thing. If we put Jordan back in the era where Bill Russell was, how many rings with Jordan? So I guess it's a stupid debate and we can get lost in the shuffle with it. So that's always why I, I kind of brought it up. I got no beef with Curry. It's more my beef with LeBron, but... We could do a show just by itself and we could be like everyone else yelling back and forth if it's LeBron or Jordan. I don't want to get into a huge thing now, but I mean, it's Jordan, six rings to 17 losses in the finals for LeBron. End of story. Six and zero compared to what, four and eight or something? That's the end of the conversation, at least in my opinion. But like something we could talk about down the road. One more quick thing, just because Jay brought up Josh Hart. I'm on ESPN. It says Josh Hart's loving life with the New York Knicks. After stints in Los Angeles, New Orleans, and Portland, Veteran Gar is happy to have a family closer to their home on the East Coast. And I got to tell you, I know everyone would say, like, you know, the KD trade, the Kyrie trade is the best trade at the trade deadline. And I know we're like a month out from that, but I still think Josh Hart was the best trade. I didn't follow this kid enough up close. I knew he was a decent player, but this kid's motor, the way he plays his perimeter defense, his strength, his tough mental toughness, rebounding ability he's really changed the Knicks and so if there's any any go back to any scaring teams in the playoffs if the Knicks can get it together in the fourth quarter and play properly and control the ball and have better you know shot selection they do have a chance to do some damage in the east the east is kind of wide open in my opinion I I know we have Milwaukee there in Boston but the Knicks own Boston and I would love to meet Cleveland in the first round not Cleveland out 
I would love for that to happen. So we not to hear about Donovan Mitchell anymore. And listen, I wanted Donovan Mitchell, so I'm not complaining, but you know, everyone, you know, will always use that. So but the point is that Josh Hart was the best piece, in my opinion, that could have been traded that fit a team that needed that needed something specific. So that's all I wanted do to add. Do you think he should be starting? Yeah, Clodum's like a start of it. <laughs> I, mean, um, I mean, does Grimes really need to start? Probably not. No, you probably could start Josh Hart, but I think the Pimmit IQ coming off the bench is yeah. what brings that tenacity, that intensity. It's, it's some interesting points here. And uh, if you check out the uh, Sports Witness Facebook group, this and a lot more conversations you'll find all the time there. And I think that's a, a great note to, like I said, once again, promote the Sports Witness Facebook group. And we'd love for everyone to join and leave comments and really let us know some subject. Maybe we should talk on future episodes. But final thing for this week's episode, and we have everyone here to different degrees is wrestling fans. We are two weeks away from WrestleMania, as everyone knows, because we've plugged it already a couple of times. Harry and myself do a wrestling show called Let's Talk About AEW, a.k.a. Let's Talk About Everything Wrestling. Jason, I know you do a wrestling podcast about TNA and a little bit I'm hearing a little maybe in the future about ROH possibly down the line. And E-Dog, I know you're a, a big wrestling fan. But while we have us all here, let's our final subject for the week. Let's talk a little WrestleMania here. E-Dog, what's the thing that you're looking forward most to about this uh, WrestleMania weekend coming up in a little less than two weeks? I think the most interesting element to WrestleMania is what kind of match Omos and Brock Lesnar are going to have. If it's a three-minute match, it could possibly ruin WrestleMania for me. If it's a competitive wrestling match, it'll go a long way to, to me having a little bit of faith in the WWE to be able to put on a good production. I think it's good to have guys like Braun Strowman, Omos, Brock Lesnar, guys who are super heavyweights or super, not necessarily big show because he's gone, but uh, guys of that size because it gives them, it, it, you know, it's, it's like another division, like a cruiserweight division, or uh, it's just another weight class, and it, and it gives some competitiveness to each one, so that way it's not just a squash match when the guy shows up. You know, I mean, that's an interesting point. I, I think if uh, me and Harry uh, actually spoke about it more than, like, two minutes after the show is done, I'll be, very, uh, I'll be very annoyed. I mean, I think that twofold on that. I think Brock Lesnar is at the point of his career where it's a five-minute sprint. Almost has been doing this for less than what? I think less than like three years. Less is more when you have a guy who's that green. I would say the same thing when it comes to AEW where Jade has the look, but less is more still at this point. Longer matches is great, but if I see a 12-minute Jade match, as much as I think that she has a future, there's a good chance I'm switching the channel. It's nothing personally against Jade, but it's at your level that you are at the moment. So if you have a 12-minute Brock Lesnar versus almost match where almost is selling for, you know, large portions, you're going to see people go faster than they can back to back in the day when, you know, the women's match was when you went for your bathroom break. Right. So as much as you may want to see almost have an option to become a bigger thing, it's not time yet. But I, I do appreciate the fact that you are a little outside the box and what I expected there. Yeah, I'm just, you know, Brock Lesnar's been around for 20 years, and I think he really needs a good division, a good competitive group of guys that he can work with for the title, because obviously the title's going to be, if it's not surrounded by him, it's going to be very much near him. 
or within reach at any time. All he's got to do is win the money in the bank and he's got a contract and go to WrestleMania and win it. If that's the case, I would hope it would be the Gunthers, the Sheamuses, the Drew McIntyres, the more athletic big man. Or if, you know, Big E could hopefully at one point get healthy again enough to to work again. And we thought some prayers to him after that horrible uh, mistimed uh, suplex on the outside from Rich Holland. But uh, I see your point there. Jason, I know you come from more of an impact uh, background, which you're focusing on more right now. But what are you looking forward to most at WrestleMania? Well, just got to throw out, I went to WrestleMania 1 when I was super young. Somebody kind of took me. And then I went to WrestleMania 20. So I've kind of been a long-time WWE fan forever. And then I became an Impact fan. But whatever. Um, That match is insane to me. Almost versus Lesnar. Like, it just I was talking to somebody about this. And I was like, the match is not happening. Like, I'll bet you money. It just doesn't make sense. Like, what is Brock going to get out of it? What's almost going to get out of it? I don't know. I can't see almost winning like you were just saying. I'm kind of excited about the Roman-Cody match. But I actually think that Roman can win. I feel like I'm the only person in the world. And I don't know, Charlotte, Rhea. I mean, I like what Rhea's doing. I think she's going to end up winning there. I'm excited. And then I really, I'm really excited for the Usos, uh, Zane and Owen. I think they're going to end up winning. That should be a cool last match. And that's about it. Oh, sorry. And Rollins, Logan Paul. Logan Paul, man. That dude's got some talent. You know, it, it's funny. Before you said the last match, all the matches that you have any sort of interest in are all on the SmackDown-focused brand. Mm-hmm. And... I would agree that the matches that I'm looking forward to most is pretty much everything involved with the bloodline. For those who have listened to uh, me and Harry talk week after week, I haven't loved the build so far for everything other than the bloodline segment. So I, I love your first pick. I do think that the simple fact that Roman Reigns and this company loves the idea of numbers, where you see how they do a great job every year of telling you every fact you need to know about the Royal Rumble, who's been the longest, the shortest, everything else. They keep on telling you he's over 900 days. What's better than 900 days? A thousand days. So I would say if I had money on the line and hopefully it doesn't become legal on DraftKings before, you know, two weeks, because I don't want to be the idea of thinking, oh my God, what do I do here? I mean, I think the, the good money would be on Cody. But like I said, due to the fact that we have that idea of a thousand days, not that far thousand days would be like what three months away or so so yeah. i mean i could see roman winning but i if like i said i think the, the smart money would be on cody harry what are you looking forward most about wrestlemania besides getting a chance to talk about with me the bloodline how it's going to play out with roman and cody uh you know the, the thousand day mark does make sense also sammy's now mentioned a couple times about the jay will dethrone Roman or, or take Roman down or leave him. And then you had just on this past Raw where Cody was trying to get in Solo's head and Solo went to go after him and Roman told him to stop twice and had to stop him the second time going after him. So, like, you know, W is trying to tell the story that obedience is starting to wear down a little bit and guys want to kind of have their own, like Solo and the Usos, they want to have their own freedom than doing just what Roman says. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to what happens between Roman and, and Cody. Definitely what's going to happen between Sammy and KO, you know, and, and the Usos. I believe that they can go in so many different directions. You know, like you could have KO turn his back on Sammy. You could have Jay turn his back on Jimmy. There could be somehow Sammy ruins the main event for Roman or for Cody. So it's actually played out pretty well. 
I believe we had talked about a few times about the Kevin Owens and uh, Sami Zayn uniting part. When was it going to play out? You know, we were trying to figure out a timeline. And I think you called it about picking the Friday before St. Louis. So, right, he was on SmackDown that they reunited, and they were showed up on Monday. So, yeah, so I'm interested in that. And I'm also interested in what's going to happen with the whole damage control with Becky Lynch, Lita, and Trish. Possibly this Trish turn on Lita and Becky Lynch, how that plays out. If Trish does turn on Becky Lynch and Lita, I would assume she would be taking on an ongoing, sign a new contract and you know start competing and get, get involved in storylines again on a regular basis. I, was, I, I couldn't see her you know, turning her back and then, you know, no, I'm off to make another yoga video. I don't know. I think that could be interesting where she can be coming a little bit more often as a part-time and being there for maybe the big three slash big four pay-per-views. I mean, I know the rumors out there right now is a possible – SummerSlam, Trish versus Becky Lynch. I mean, I would not, ex- especially at her age, I wouldn't expect her to see her as an every week performer anymore. I could see her coming in, doing storylines, and then seeing how things work out. So I don't expect to see, you know, Trish Stratus on my TV every week for the next she six months. But She can be a part-timer, but I don't think she'll completely disappear. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's it's interesting on, in the Triple H era, how they're balancing a little bit more your past and your present and your future. Sorry, I got a quick question. Does anyone care about the Cena match? That's a great question. I personally don't. I think that it's interesting on paper, but unfortunately with the whole type part-time situation, unless we see him on next week's show. It's a waste of a match. One quick point on this. What I'm looking forward to most, like I said, it was the bloodline. Everything involved in the bloodline, but... I think the biggest mistake that the WWE made in this WrestleMania season, and I'm sure there's a ton of them, but they really should have switched the two women's title match situations. It should have been Rhea versus Bianca, the two futures of the company, and Charlotte and Asuka with Asuka finally having the idea of getting her win back from when she lost the streak a couple of WrestleManias back. I think that would have made a lot more sense. I understand they most likely want to save Rhea versus Bianca for, to be the big feud for years down the line. But I really think the momentum of those feuds haven't really worked out. And I think that's kind of hurt the interest. I mean, I could say maybe you guys agree or not. I think of the, all the women's feuds that we know we're getting at WrestleMania, I think the six-woman tag has mostly been built, built the best. I mean, I know that Lita still looks great for her age, and I'm not trying to sound sexist or anything here, but... Watching her in the ring right now when they won the tag team titles was just downright painful. Rough. Very rough. But what's your guys' thoughts? Do you think they should have switched up the women's title matches like what I said? Or do you like the idea of Rhea versus Charlotte? And, you know, we have no idea why Asuka became her old persona from Japan again. What's your thoughts? Do you like the idea of the current situation? Or would have you gone with what I said? Edog, what do you think? I'm a big Rhea Ripley fan. I think she could have a really good match with Charlotte unless the uh, script writers just trash it. The, it has the potential to be really, really good, but WWE's history is against them. Jason, you any, any thoughts on... Uh... Like you guys were saying, I don't know if it's like maybe us or the fact that the everything bloodline is just written better, but like I've, I'm so interested in the bloodline and I feel like they haven't... I don't know if they haven't done a great job building these two women's matches because I don't pay attention enough, I guess, because I'm only paying attention to like a few segments, but that's how it feels. I don't know. Am I wrong with that? Harry, I know that we'll have more time this week when everybody checks out you know, our show this Thursday slash Friday, 
But what's your thoughts on this whole women's situation? Do you think that they went with the right idea of the current rematches as they are? Or do you think it would have been smarter to go with the fresher matchup of Rhea versus Bianca? I actually agree with you. I think that it should have went the other way. I think that Asuka could have, you know, got her win back, like you mentioned. And then I think that, you know, Rhea could have won against Bianca. And that would start a feud you could have for a good six to nine months if you wanted to with two fresh faces on a great program. So, yeah, I do think that we dropped the ball there. The other thing is with Rhea, I don't know if anybody saw Monday Night Raw, but Rhea got into it with Bailey, and then she ended up pinning Bailey, you know, in her match. But the whole presence of how that all worked out, it kind of, with Becky and them coming down to kind of get involved, it tainted the picture as if they're going to try and make turn Rhea face at some point. I mean, maybe, I, maybe I'm taking it wrong, but it, it was just kind of odd that, like, you know, you'd have faces come down. And I know it's more to go after Bailey and damage control than it is to go help necessarily. Like no, that was super weird. That was a super yeah. weird segment. It was like, so it's not just me. Yeah, I, I really thought, I thought, I thought the same thing. Plus, it like I thought it took away from Rhea a little, you know. It did. Yes, that's exactly because Rhea's supposed to be your next dominant heel, right? Yeah. Rhea's so blown up and she's doing well, and I think she'll be bigger than the Judgment Day. You know, I it's funny. You know, Edge made the Judgment Day, and then it was supposed to kind of pass the baton to Finn Balor, but really Rhea's the one that stepped up to be like the real leader. Yeah. Like she's. And all that with the whole Dom gimmick. And then you, know, you got Damian Priest there and Finn just kind of there, you know, which yeah. is fine. Yeah, it kind of fit Rhea's character a lot more than it did the other guys. Yeah. She like kind of, I don't know, snuck into it better. Like she made herself like into the judgment day, whereas the others just kind of stayed being their own kind of thing. But Harry, I think you just answered your question in regards to the whole segment. Rhea is so much more over and Dom and Dom to a certain extent than the rest of the group. So when I think they're trying to go and play both sides of the aisle of seeing Rhea has been a very good heel when it came to the stuff with the Glamazon, Beth Phoenix, but the same idea for a long time, she was a baby face. So I think they're trying to figure out post mania, what works best. And you can honestly say that like, yes, you could say the brawl on Friday worked pretty well, but Charlotte is a thousand times better as a heel than as a baby face. And I think Rhea Yes, she's got this quote unquote, maybe I'm using the wrong terminology, but the goth look right now that makes her at least come across as more of a heel. But their roles should be, you know, switched. And I think that's what kind of hurts a little bit the feud and where they're not sure what they want to do. But going back to the initial point here, this is the one thing that makes the Bloodline storyline so interesting. And you can see, yes, the Bloodline storyline started with Vince McMahon in control, but with Triple H in control, the angle is so much more focused. And what they did on both, which I think, Harry, you mentioned, both on Friday and Monday, with setting doubt on what could happen next with Roman Reigns if he loses, they have storylines set up, or at least the premise of storylines set up, for the next, until the next WrestleMania. So, I mean, maybe all of you know the wrestling pundits are just trying to be super positive because they think Triple H has a good handle of what he's doing. But look what they set up on Monday. From that little segment that you had, which I think was a pretty solid segment, if Cody wins the title, it would seem slightly more believable after Monday night that his first opponent could be Solo Sokoa after their interaction. You mm-hmm. continually have the story of 
Jay is only part of the bloodline to save his brother, Jimmy. And if Roman loses, Roman doesn't have the control anymore or the influence of everything. Of course, in real life, he's still the, the biggest draw in that company. But you can set up the Usos separating and you can set up, you know, a Jay versus Roman Reigns for a part of the year. You can set up a lot of things with Cody being champion and having to face, you know, other guys. You, you know, even back to at the Rumble where you had the last two guys in the match of Cody and Gunther. But uh, Walter, for all those who actually, you know, true wrestling fans from back in the last couple of years, but they are setting up ideas. Same thing with the these women's shoes. You may not love where they're going, but, you know, we have the idea that possibly Trish can turn at the end of this match. We have the idea that in the future, you have these two runaway freight trains of Bianca and Rhea, possibly going to be on two separate brands. And at some point, they're going to have to collide. So as much as we've given crap, and I'll be the first one to say, under Vince, with not having directions five minutes after he's done his last thing, I think it gives a certain bit of hope and a thought of direction of the five minutes after WrestleMania, they're not going to be scrambling to figure out what they're going to do just to make your fans that came from all around the world for that Monday night afterwards. So, I mean, I think that gives us, you know, a little bit more of a direction and how things are going, but let's go around a couple final thoughts on WrestleMania before we get ready to close this out. We'll, we'll start with uh, Jason. I didn't mention it, but edge versus Balor and Helena cell. That could be crazy. And yeah, I mean, I'm just really angry about this scene of things. So I just wanted to mention it again. Like why? That's it. Other Jason. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think the potential for Seth Rollins versus Logan Paul could be good. It could be a good physical match, you know, showcase a lot of a lot of athleticism. I'm not crazy about – it seems like Seth Rollins has been kind of flipping sides, being kind of a co-face, co-heel, you know, kind of flipping back and forth because he can't he, – I don't think he's got the full direction of his character down yet. It, even though a lot of what he does is very entertaining, and it should be a good match because they're both really, really incredible athletes. I got to pull for uh, Logan Paul in this match just because I think he's got a, I think, I think he could deliver a better match. Wow. All right, Harry, I, I know that your blood is boiling. You know, your boy Seth Rollins is not favored in from one of the panelists, but what's your final thoughts on mania before we do a little this and that? I swear if Seth Rollins lays down for Logan Paul, I'm, I might lose my, <laughs> you know what? I, uh, I'm listening. Logan Paul, I told you I watched the Saudi Arabia show. I forget, you know, Crown Jewel or whatever. Logan Paul's got some unpolished talent, natural giftability, you know, uh, physically. He surprised me. But, uh, of course, I want my boy Seth to, to win that. And I hope he does. I don't like that Seth got knocked out twice. I don't like that. I, I think it makes him look weak. I'm tired of Seth making other guys better. When there's other guys, that should be doing that and, and not him. The thing is, Seth can lose and still look good. Oh yeah, um, I think I think his character's fine. I think some of us don't understand it. Um, Edge said it best that like Seth is the modern day Ray and R superstar kind of, and it makes sense. You know, he's definitely like his own unique way. I disowned him one night when he wore those stupid Astro red boots. Besides that, you know, Seth's my guy. I have no problem with Seth. I hope Seth wins, but I would see why they want to put Logan Paul over, but hopefully not. I don't like the Cena Austin Theory thing, but maybe Cena's going to put Austin Theory over. Or maybe he's not. Maybe Cena beats him. And then I think it was Corey that said something to me about maybe Cena beats him and then does an open challenge the next night. And then out comes like a Jay White or something. But you, you never know. Well, one more thought about uh, about Logan Paul. Do you think he is, has the potential to be a long term performer or do you think he's kind of a fly by night 
I'll be I'll be here this WrestleMania. I might do something six months from now. I think he's more of the second of what you said, only because of the fact that the guy is just all over the place. I don't think yeah. he's really. I don't think he loves this. I think he's just got some natural ability. Maybe he will love it two years from now. I don't know. I mean, people say they love stuff all the time, right? But uh, no, uh, bringing up your point there with Logan Paul, I think Logan Paul is the definition of a special attraction. If you saw Logan Paul for 40 out of the 52 weeks out of the year on Monday Night Raw, he would just be another guy. And it loses, and he loses, you know, the interest level. And yes, I know he's got a huge podcast, which I've listened to once because I wanted to hear what Cody was talking about it day after the rumble. But he is as much of personal opinion, my thoughts, not the podcast. But as much as I think him and his brother are a bunch of scumbags who, you know, deserve to most likely just be taken away from, you know, society and all this other stuff. He has his niche. He's done a good job in these first couple of matches. But like I said, the more we see him, the more flaws you'll see. And I think the biggest problem with Logan Paul is Logan Paul wants to be liked. But in reality, fans want to boo him. And sometimes it comes across like he's playing a heel because in his own head, even though he is mostly a heel in real life, he wants to be loved. And we all want to be loved. But when it comes to wrestling, you've got to go and play the role that they've designed for you. And I think the more he's there, the more the lines are going to get blurred. And I just don't think he'll be as special if he's there all the time. That's just my quick thoughts on that. But uh, to close out on the wrestling talk, once again, be sure to uh, check out mine and Harry podcast. Let's talk about AW, AW, I can't say words, AKA let's talk about everything wrestling. Jason apparently has an excellent podcast, which I've been told to check out for the last couple of weeks. And I swear I will at some point, but uh, if you want the latest and greatest opinions on Impact Wrestling, be sure to check out Jason's uh, podcast, which uh, he'll tell us a little bit more about in a moment here. But I do think that WrestleMania has a chance to be a very good in-ring show. But the problem is, which I've said, and I think we've all said to a certain extent, that besides the bloodline, everything else feels like the bloodline is being written by one person, a.k.a. most likely Paul Heyman, and everything else is being written by people who took one drama class in college. So the disconnect of two great stories and everything else is on a different level and build. I just don't really, not that I don't care, but I'm not super as much as the, as the, uh, the main event. Exactly. But uh, Jason, as we get ready to close this, uh, this bad boy out, I think we've had a very interesting and entertaining, you know, about hour here, a conversation on all different things when it comes to sports and sports entertainment, as it's known. Uh, Jason, how about you let people know how they can follow you and uh, check out your Facebook page and your uh, Impact podcast? Yeah, so the podcast is called Discuss Impact Wrestling. Pretty much here. You can find it on YouTube and most podcast apps. And I have a Facebook group called The GOA. So, I don't know, just Facebook that, I guess, and you'll find it. And that's about it. And Edog? I know you're a little bit newer into this space right now. I hope our first time we took your uh, virginity away. Hopefully it didn't hurt too much. But uh, what do you have going on? You tell people could follow you either on the in the real world, on your outside ventures, or uh, just on, you know, uh, the World Wide Web. Yeah, so um, I'm a regular contributor of, of journalism for Wrestling Purist, public site on Facebook, and uh, also a co-journalist on Wrestling Purist 
the private website. So you can check me out, check some of my uh, information there, some of my clips, videos, and opinions and discussions. And uh, Harry, we all know that uh, you are the man behind the Wrestling Purist Facebook group. You're also our uh, founding member of the Sport Witness Facebook group. I mean, let people know quickly uh, how they can join both and, and of course, how blessed you are to have found me and your life is now more complete. I think my wife will be a little upset about that, but you know, you might be telling the truth partly. You got to learn how to share. I found my second love, you know, of, uh, doing this with you, you know, and now we're doing more. So, <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, you know, uh, part of a couple of different groups. I am in uh, Jason's GOA group. That's how we met and became good friends. On both the Wrestling Purist sites, the one public and the one private um, on Facebook, with in the next couple of months possibly opening up actual websites for Wrestling Purist and for the Sports Witness pages, which will, will both be under the Pair and Bear Network, which is will uh, be more details coming out on that. And then the Sports Witness obviously is a brand new Facebook group with our new podcast here. And you can find us on there. We talk about all sports, including. We include wrestling as a sport, so we do talk about wrestling a little bit on there, but uh, mostly just, you know, depending on the timing and the events, what sports are happening, and even going back to some nostalgia and stuff, you know, we have open conversations at all times. Before we end this, I just wanted to say, I feel the uh, sleeper match is the Gunther-Drew McIntyre-Sheamus match at WrestleMania. We'll see how those guys, you know, kind of, you know, beat each other up. They are definitely the workhorses of the, of the WWE. Agreed. Because Gunther and Sheamus, who was potential match of the year last year, called the uh, the Castle. And then NBA-related, Willis Reed passed away today at the age of 80. So rest in peace to uh, uh, Nick Legend, the captain. So I just wanted to say that. So that was my last words. And of course, cheap plug time for me. So you guys could all take a three-minute break while I uh, spew out things that people don't care about. But, you know, of course, check out every Thursday slash Friday to me and Harry as we talk the latest in wrestling, which you got a little small sample size here on Let's Talk About AEW, a.k.a. Let's Talk About Everything Wrestling. Usually some somewhere between, you know, an hour to three hours, depending on how long it takes me to shut Harry up every week. Uh, if we get to three hours, Harry, on an episode, I quit. I'm just, just letting you know. <laughs> I might have to actually get up in the morning to go to work some of these days. But doing a really having a really good, fun time every week with that. You guys can go back and uh, listen to the old podcast that I was part of with Cheap Plug with uh, Jason Brooks, the human wheelbarrow, as he was uh, coined, the Workshoot Wrestling Podcast, as you may have heard earlier. Harry is getting his wrestling lesson by going back and listening to the old episodes. We did episodes for just under 300 of them. So wherever you listen to podcasts, go back, rate, review. Maybe if there's enough new reviews, I can get Jason to come out and maybe join us for an episode here and there. His wife's not going to love that, but, you know, I can lie to her a little bit. But and then on the other side, the non-sports side, we've got something called You Don't Know Jackie TV podcast, where we talk about our favorite TV shows. Maybe not yours, you know, who knows. But coming up next week, we've got the return of Yellow Jackets for season two. We'll be talking about that first episode coming up. We've also got the return of some of the other great shows that have been topping the charts all year. And uh, we hope that you join us. And I guess the only way to end this episode, this first one, just got a, I just got a question. Anybody got a witness? <laughs>